Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat it, it Up. Up. I like how you always say it directly after me. Is that what okay. you're going for? This is this is the crazy thing. I actually noticed that when I've been editing. Like, I don't know how I've only noticed it like 16 episodes in, um, like only now. But like, it always sounds like I'm behind you. Yes. But I think there must be a lag because on my end, I'm seeing it at the exact same time you are. Are you? Because Literally every I single time. <laughs> I know, and and it's so it's so embarrassing when I listen to the recording. It sounds like I just have no like sense of timing. It's like yeah, maybe That's like the what first. I thought time. it was. I no, was like, oh, no, it on my end. It. I think there must be just like a slight like a half oh, second lag okay. or something, and yes. so. I, that's why I've been trying to say it like more like eat it like rather than eat because I'm trying to like get in to match right. your timing and it's not working. That's really funny because for 16 episodes I just thought oh just Sam doesn't get timing and he doesn't no. get what I'm about to say it. <laughs> well it probably that too but it's, it's also just no, like it, no. it to me it sounds like I'm saying it with you. Okay well that's actually really fun um, I, I like that. <laughs> So I don't know what we can do. If any listeners have any kind of technological solutions to that problem, I don't know what what we do about that, but it's definitely awkward. Hit us up. Um, up. But welcome to Eat It Up, the podcast where we have local snacks um, or snacks from our neighborhoods. Yeah. (laughs) Sort of local. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then we chat about bites of history. So, and today, as you will see by our title... We're doing Frida Kahlo. Woo! I'm so excited. Okay. Me too. I'm pumped, actually. Me too. Yeah. Um, I think this is one of our first apps where we're taking it south of the U.S. Yes. I think it is the first app, so cool. I'm very excited. And I know of Frida Kahlo, but never learned mm-hmm. about her. So. Me too. I think I, I might have, like, maybe I had, like, one class where she was, like, mentioned about, with a bunch right. of other artists, like, in grade eight. Oh, yeah, but it's yeah. like that doesn't really count as like learning about someone. <laughs> That's it. I guess That's it does, but like I don't remember him very much. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, so my snack for this week is I would say that it's getting to the point where Sam's level of scones is now like my level of donuts. Because mm. I'm doing another donut this week, but it kind of girl. makes sense. So right. there's it's called Mochito. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this new mochi donut place that opened up um, in Vancouver. <laughs> Another mochi donut place? <laughs> I have a thing. Uh, well, yeah. okay, so basically the reason I went is, like, my friend Nadine, um, mm-hmm. her friend's boyfriend, we're getting we're getting out of here on the level. So, yeah, I'm already confused, um, but go ahead. It's his place that he okay. opened up, oh, and so okay. I was like, oh, I want to go support it. Right. Um, and and so, just give it a scathing review on the <laughs> I tear it down. I'm never um, going back. <laughs> the catch is, though, is this place is truly impossible to park in because it's in one of those almost, like, industrial areas mm. where it's, like, it's, like, a car outfitting place all beside it and stuff. So there's all the parking spots are reserved there. You can't park in the lot. So you really have. are about to give it a skating <laughs> So parking-wise. <laughs> parking-wise, we give it a B. <laughs> we give it a B. And, like, they truly, yeah. like, the shop owners will come out and, like, kick you out of the spot if you've parked in a spot, like, you shouldn't be in. Oh my gosh. So it's like a lot of energy. Um, So I parked like a block and a half away. Okay. So if you're going to go there, just be prepared. Like just park far away and walk to it. It's easier than circling the block 50 times. If it's raining, bring an umbrella. It's Vancouver. It's always Oh yeah, that's true. Get used to it. That's such an an Albertan thing of me to say. (laughs) I don't, you don't Um, even need to say that if you're from Vancouver. You just know. You just know. If you don't Um, know. But so Mochita does, right now at least, they just truly like they have a lineup that goes like around the building um but you just go to the door 
Mm-hmm. And you can like, I was like, oh, how many donuts can I get? And the lady goes, two. And I was like, oh, two. And she goes, I was like, oh, two donuts. And she goes, two boxes. And I was like, that's not intuitive. Why would I know oh, that? No, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like, they're already assorted. So you don't get to like choose your flavors. Right. But each box has like six in it, one of each flavor. And the flavor that I am eating for the pod today is a churro mm-hmm. mochi donut. Oh, yum. Okay. Yeah. That sounds delish. So it's covered in like, obviously like cinnamon sugar. And then it has like a, mm. a caramel drizzle across it. Right. So I'm really excited because I obviously am obsessed with mochi donuts, as we know. But right. this has the Mexican flair to it. <laughs> right. Okay. And so yeah. that's the link to Frida Kahlo. That's the link. Yes. Okay. I see. There you go. Well, my snack today is, um, well, this is awkward. I actually realized I don't have one. No, I'm kidding. I realized for a long time I don't have one. But listen up, haters. You can't make fun of me. I'm flying back to Calgary later today. And I didn't have time for it to, well, I probably did have time to go get a snack, but I wasn't organized enough to do it. So I'm and you running know around what? like chicken with my head cut off here. It's a so. pandemic. We both had a bit of a gray week, some would yeah. say. So give us oh, a break. <laughs> totally. God, what's going to be the excuse once the pandemic ends? Like, I'm just like this, but it's oh, like, yeah. there's no, I can't blame it on anything. No, I've just, I've morphed into being this person yeah. <laughs> who can't socialize in reality, yeah. <laughs> can't oh, put totally. herself together. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. So. Um, okay, um, well, let's jump in. Tell let's me jump about, in. Tell me about Frida Kahlo. Cool. Okay. Do you, um, what do you know about her, Sam? Um, okay, so I know she's an artist. Yes. Um, like, a known, I think, for, like, feminist art. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I want to say she's either late 19th century, early 20th century. Okay, like close. Life. Um, I, I, early I 20th, mid 20th, she goes to. So you hit, like, that area, right? What did, I, what did I say? Did I say late 19th, early 20th? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, so you, sorry, hit, that, you hit it right. Okay, okay. I was somewhat, I, I thought I was worried I'd said like late 18th. I was like, oh no. Like, <laughs> now no, we're getting no, no, way no. off. Like, <laughs> getting into like medieval renaissance. Anyways, okay. Um, yeah, so feminist painter, like known for her iconic kind of like unibrow. Yes. Um, colorful yeah. art. Yes, um, definitely. That's all I, I would say. Yeah, I think just, that's what a lot of us would immediately picture when thinking of her. Um, yes. Not that that sounded like me <laughs> being like, that's obvious. You're like, um, that sounds right, but you're actually so stupid. You're so I'm about to tell you, you why. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think that's what we all picture is like bold, vibrant colors, yeah. a brow, a lot of self-portraits. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you hit like the time frame, right? Um, it's like early 20th to about mid 20th century there. Cool. But so for a touch of background is really short today. We have a lot more details to go into. Cool. Um, but Mexican artist Frida Kahlo, she's remembered for her self-portraits using bold, vibrant colors. And a lot of her artwork drew on personal experiences, including her marriage, her miscarriages, her numerous operations. Right. And Kahlo's works are often characterized by like stark portrayals of pain. Mm-hmm. And so you often see that coming across. She is part of only a handful of artists whose work is like immediately recognizable, which I mm-hmm. think is why we like can remember her so much. It's like, I never actually took a class where she was taught, mm-hmm. but I know who she is immediately. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, and we know her as like the unibrowed self-portrait kind of lady who would, a lot of her paintings have Mexican references, but right. they've attracted attention far beyond the scope of just Mexico. Right. And although Frida, she denied it herself, she is often identified as a surrealist, but right. she claims that she wasn't like painting her dreams. She was painting her own reality. So she doesn't wow. identify as it, but people have said that she is. 
that's kind of already like iconic that she's oh like, yeah that's how I see that she, everyone's like that's it's surreal and she's like no that's how I see reality that's my reality she wow, has some really iconic moments in here I'm so excited okay 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 I'm ready but she is celebrated in Mexico for her attention to Mexican and indigenous culture right and also like the attention she drew internationally towards it and she's also celebrated by feminists for her depiction of the female experience and form and as mm-hmm. we'll see later like she a lot of people will coin her as like a feminist artist and she absolutely is but she also covers a couple other areas like the LGBTQ plus community she's celebrated oh. for the dis- like people who are disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she kind of helps, she kind of represents a lot of groups in her life. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Any questions about that before we dive into details? I didn't give you no, a lot to work off of. <laughs> that's really, no, that's interesting. Um, I just want to know more. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of, I chose I feel like I've now, this is the third woman I've done like a synopsis on. We've done mm-hmm. Viola Desmond, Princess Di, and now Frida. Yeah. And I just chose Frida for something different, but I'm obsessed with this lady. Like she's Okay, really okay. Cool. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, so for details, there are kind of like a few ways that you could tackle a narrative about Frida Kahlo. Mm-hmm. So you could either go with like the purely historical route, so cover each year what happened to her, right. whatever. I found those ones were like a little bit more dry. So what yeah. we're going to do today, we're going to take it less chronologically, more yeah. art focused after like the initial beginning. Um, yeah. So we're going to kind of talk about like Frida Kahlo and her artwork in relation to different periods in her life. So like right. for instance, when I talk about her marriage, we'll talk about the artwork that came out of her marriage or was inspired by. Mm-hmm. So that we kind of okay. have that. That's what we're going with. Cool. <laughs> and that's thematic. Thematic. Um, so nice. Frida Kahlo, she was born in 1907, three years before the start of the Mexican Revolution. But right. later in life, she like went back and changed her birth year to 1910 so she could say she was a child of the revolution. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. I was like, iconic. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's like, okay. <laughs> and just for like a touch of context, the Mexican Revolution, it began in 1910, lasted right. until 1917, and it ended dictatorship in Mexico and established a constitutional republic. Right. Okay. So it was kind of a big change to the country all of a sudden politically. Right. Um, something I found a bit surprising is that Frida's dad is German. He was born in Germany. And he had either, some people say Hungarian ancestry, or he came from like a long line of German Lutherans. Right. Um, and I guess I just found it surprising because she's seen as such a figurehead from Mexico that I was like, oh, right. she's, she would have like a long line of ancestry there. Right. But her dad is from Germany. Her mom, however, was of primarily indigenous as well as Spanish descent. So that's kind of right. where she gets that from. Gotcha, okay. During this period in Mexico when she was born, it was a time where the country was really being developed by well-educated people who brought like this brand new perspective to the country. And so they really wanted like this special, like consolidated culture that reflected like greatness, collectivity, unification. Like they wanted to create this Mexican culture that they found like wasn't really there before the revolution. Interesting. The interesting thing is that like, although like Frida wanted, like she changed her birth year to be a child of the revolution. It's not like the Mm -hmm. Mexican revolution majorly impacted her family while it was going on. Right. Like they, they experienced it like most of the country's 15 million inhabitants would, they were just kind of witnesses to it. They didn't right. like, partake in it so much. And so, and by the time it came to an end, like Frida was only 10. So in terms right. of like it actually impacting her in the moment, 
right. really didn't, but I think it was what came after the Mexican Revolution that it, that inspired her a lot. Right. Any questions? I did have a question, but it left me. Oh, I'm sorry. I just ran. No, no, it, no. That was that was important. I just I had a question. I don't remember. That's interesting. Okay. If it comes back that. to you, cut me off. For sure. Yeah. Oh, you know I will. <laughs> you <laughs> just cut off me. A simple woman. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Epic feminist moment. <laughs> I'm like silence. Silence. I'm speaking. <laughs> so um, the Mexican Revolution, as I kind of like alluded to, it was the precursor to what some article said Mexicanness. But I'm like, no one ever says okay. Canadianness or American. It's okay. basically Mexican nationalism, as I think what right. they kind okay, of grasp okay. that. But it was like the cultural images and ideas that we kind of know when we think of Mexico now. Right. So like at the start of the 1920s, Mexico really developed an identity based on its own history and folklore, its food, vibrant colors, music, and customs and traditions. Right. So the way that we kind of think of, I think like Mexico now is being like vibrant, colorful, like the flavors right. that we associate with it, I think those really like all came together in the 1920s right. um, to create this like Mexican nationalist identity. Right. And this period was really seen as like a nationalist renaissance because Mexico's cultural identity emerged. Right. So although like Frida, like the Mexican revolution itself didn't really impact her, this would have this right. like idea of a nationalist, the nationalism in Mexico. Right. In terms of like, would you say influencing her art and her style or more so in the way that her art then got taken up to be representative of like Mexican culture? I think in, um, at first, initially just in how she did her artwork and the pride right. she had for her country. Right. Um, and we'll talk about it in a bit, but initially like her artwork wasn't what uh, the Mexican government was, was kind of like trying to promote. Right. But I think like later on after she passed away, it, really had this like resurgence that right. I think a lot of Mexicans now would identify with as being representative of their culture. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. like an iconic kind of figure. In yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Frida was one of only 35 women to enroll in the national preparatory school back in 1922. Wow, okay. um, and she really developed a sense of Mexican nationalism there that began with the revolution went far beyond it. And was that like an, an, uh, an art school or was that uh... I don't think it was an art school. Like she was never formally trained in her artistry. Okay. Okay. So I think like this was just kind of going to school to learn and it wasn't something okay. that was super common at the time, like for okay. women to do that. Like I, a high school kind of thing. I think so. Right. Like national preparatory school, what would she have been at that time? 1922. She would have been 15. Okay. Gotcha. So I think I like, why. I'm like, so like high school, <laughs> so high school, okay. you know what um, I mean? Like, like, um, yeah. Okay. Anyways. I don't just know. Just like not the... post-secondary a non-art school. It yes, just like yes. A school, school, school. Yes, okay. from the sounds of it. Um, God, okay, sorry. I didn't look it up, to be fair. <laughs> You're asking good questions. Sorry, I don't know yeah, what's going on with me. <laughs> so alongside her growing appreciation and understanding of like her, the country like she was living in, um, Frida hmm. was also largely influenced by socialism. Um, right, okay. which was gaining popularity, obviously, in the 1920s because of right. what's happening over in Russia. And she joined an active group of young intellectuals that would later make history in the Mexican intellectual sphere. And she also joined, in 1927, the Young Communist League. Right. Um, so kind of from that point on, Mexican nationalism and socialism shaped Frida's thinking for the rest of her life. Right. Um, and although I would say, like, Mexican culture does pervade in her artwork, communism right. doesn't really like so although she is right. she very much identified and is seen as being um a communist 
Right. She, it's not like that really comes through in her artwork. Interesting. Yeah. Which is something that I would have never known. But yeah. Yeah. Or uh, maybe <laughs> the way that we remember her omits the artwork that reflects her communist oh. sensibilities or our readings be. of it exclude communist readings of her art. You might be right, know. honestly. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm like I don't know. Conspiracy theorist over here. So the turning point in Frida's life um, came when she was 18. So before that point, she had already suffered polio when she was six, um, which like left her right leg thinner than her left. Mm-hmm. And so she would mm-hmm. often try to hide that fact by wearing long skirts. And this is kind of topical. We were talking about the polio vaccine earlier this week. Do you remember that? I was telling you about how Russia developed their polio vaccine. <laughs> oh, by making people test it on themselves? Like on them, scientists, like scientists yeah. would test yeah. it on their own children. And I yeah. like when I read that, I was like, polio just comes up all the time. <laughs> it does, yeah. That's strange. Okay, so yeah. But, so, so she had polio. She she, she would like polio. to wear dresses to hide her. Yes. Her um, legs, yeah. And that was like obviously a bummer. But then at 18, uh, something happened that really changed her life permanently. Right. Um, right. And after that point, she she had like 30 operations during her short life. Oh, geez. Oh, okay. my God. So. What happened was um, she was riding a bus in Mexico City with her then boyfriend when Mm. it was struck by a trolley car and a metal handrail pierced her abdomen and her spine was broken in three places. She also had fractures in her collarbone, ribs and foot, as well as a shattered pelvis and dislocated shoulder. Oh my God. Yeah. And and people on this this bus died. Right, right. So it's like... Like the fact that she made it out alive was impressive. Was but yeah, that's very serious. Okay, yeah. Um, and so this injury had a big transformative impact throughout the rest of her life because it prevented her from walking properly. Although right. it was kind of a shock, she could even still walk at all. And she would have to later in life. She was having to wear like lots of corsets or like things around like her kind of midsection to keep mm-hmm. her. Up. And it also took away her ability to have children, which was like very traumatizing for her. Right. So the accident meant that she spent a month in the hospital and two months recovering at home. And prior to all of this, Frida had dreamed of becoming a doctor. But during her time on bed rest, this changed. Yeah. So while she was recovering, she was like wrapped in a whole body cast. She began to paint while lying in bed. And it was kind of cool. Like I think her dad provided her with like the paints and the brushes and her mom made this um, device almost so that like, she had a mirror above her bed so she could see what she was painting while she was lying down. Wow. She was right, able to right, see right. what she was doing. Right. Um, and this is when Frida began painting her trademark subject, which was herself. And so she painted the broken column, uh, which kind of was alluding to the accident. And right. the devastation to her body is shown in detail. So right. she, in the painting, she's like nearly naked. Yeah. Um, she's split down the middle with her spine represented as like a broken column. Right. And her skin is dotted with nails and she's wearing a surgical brace. Right. And so oftentimes her artwork, she wasn't afraid of like showing her life experiences through the way that she saw them. And right. one of those moments of all of her works, I think one place said 80% were self portraits, but I don't right. think that's accurate. It was like, I think 55 out of 143 were self portraits portrait so like just over a third right wow um but she was quoted as saying the reason she painted her the image of herself was because she was so often alone and she considered herself the subject she knew best 
So that's why she right. would paint herself. Related to her ongoing health problems, as I said before, like one of the hardest things for Frida was because of the accident, she suffered from infertility and she had mm-hmm. quite a few miscarriages. Right. Um, and one of the most difficult was in 1932, uh, she was visiting Detroit with her husband, Diego Rivera, and yeah. she found out she was pregnant. She decided to have an abortion, but the medicine she was given was ineffective. So she decided to continue with the pregnancy. Right. But then the next month she miscarried and right. she, it caused a hemorrhage and she was hospitalized for two weeks. Oh my gosh. Um, and she has a painting called Henry Ford Hospital, which is like where she was when it right. all happened, which is directly inspired by this experience. And it shows her like fully nude on her back, bleeding on a bed. Right. And her belly is still swollen. And there's like a few things around her in the sky. And one of them is like a male fetus. That right. it, like, and all of these things that are floating in the sky, they're all attached to her hand by these red ribbons, including right. this, like, this fetus. Right. Um, and it kind of resembles like umbilical cords that are attached to her. Oh, I see. And so this painting was just like one of like several that showcased her personal struggles with for, like her fertility. And people said that it like communicated her conflicting feelings of wanting children, wanting to have a family with her husband but her body being limited in providing that. Right. So focusing on her marriage now. So Frida Kahlo was married to artist Diego Rivera in 1929, and it wasn't necessarily a happy marriage. The two shared political views. So they were both like very socialist communist. um, And he encouraged her artistry, but there were multiple affairs on both sides. And Mm, they, they got divorced only 10 years later in 1939 but then right. they got reunited and then married again in 1940. <laughs> okay, okay. So it was kind like of got, a got back together, yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. So Frida and Diego, they were active communist sympathizers. But get this, full circle. They yeah. became friends with Leon Trotsky because oh. he was seeking political sanctuary in Mexico in 1937 from Stalin, Joseph Stalin's regime in the Soviet Union. Interesting. Yeah, because right, like once Trotsky's side lost the war, he had to get out, right? Because you know, right, this, you know what the yeah, Soviets you... were doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he like popped on over to Mexico. To be oh, fair, wow. he was eventually okay. assassinated. Like he was eventually killed, but okay. um, that's where he came to like kind of get safe. Wow. And a little bit surprising. So uh, the affairs that Frida had during her marriage, like they both had affairs on both sides, but right. Frida was she identified as bisexual. So oh. she had affairs with both men and women. Interesting. I didn't know that. And one of those men was Leon Trotsky. Shut up. <laughs> oh my God. History is literally insane. <laughs> I was like, wherever we go in the 20th century, the Russians are there. Like time they and are. time again, they come back so That's strong. That's wild. Okay. Wow, um, Frida Kahlo and Leon Trotsky, I had no idea. You would, maybe that's I, common I, knowledge, but maybe I truly was shocked. I like had I was like, yeah. no, I'm gonna fact check that. That doesn't seem right. Like that's but multiple right. places were saying it. I was like, wow, that's a well, that's real like, tidbit. <laughs> that's like last week or the week before when I was saying like I think I might have I think I might have cut it because we didn't have time. But like the fact that Muammar Gaddafi, like the like the leader of Libya until 2011 until the Arab Spring, sent arms to the IRA. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. that's so like, random. Well, I mean, obviously, they were, like, both fighting against, like, British imperial rule. But it was, like, that's yes. so, like, the connection. The Anyways, wild. Yes. But, okay, sorry. Yeah, so back to Frida Kahlo. Um, and apparently, she also had an affair with American painter Georgia O'Keeffe. What? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, it kind of reminded me. We, um, back in elementary school, do this horrific play 
where mm-hmm. every class had to sing three different songs about artists. Right. And one of them was Georgia O'Keefe for the life of me. I can't remember what the song was, but Claude mm-hmm. Monet's will always stick in my head because it was like, no black today for Claude Monet, just red, yellow, and blue. It was <laughs> horrifying. I got a fever at that thing and I started throwing up. But wow. Anyways, Whereas the back. music was so bad. So bad. You're like, Whoa. <laughs> um, okay. So to her marriage. So Frida kind of showed the flaws in her marriage, like through her art. Right. Um, and so one of her paintings, Memory of the Heart, it's from 1937. Mm-hmm. It shows like Frida's pain over her husband's affair with her younger sister, Christina. Right. So Diego was cheating on Frida with Frida's oh sister. My God. Okay. Yeah. Not cool. Um, and it shows like a large. <laughs> not cool, dude. <laughs> For the record, not cool. Hey, men, do not yeah, cheat on your significant don't... other with their sibling. With it's their not sibling. cool. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> and it shows like a, that painting shows a large broken heart at her feet. Right. And then there's another painting called The Two Fridas from 1939 that depicts like she, Frida twice in the, in the image. And it's shortly after like their brief divorce. Um, so one Frida in this image uh, wears a costume from the Tijuana region of Mexico representing the Frida that Diego loved. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other Frida wears a European dress symbolizing the woman who Diego betrayed and rejected. Just kind of like her oh. two f- selves. Oh um, and then there's another one. I was like, oh my God, this is so petty. So right. one of her pieces, it's called Self-Portrait with Cropped Hair. It's from 1940. So it depicts... Right her in like a man's suit holding a pair of scissors with her hair falling around the chair she's sitting in. And right. people saw it like representing the times that Frida would cut her hair when she learned of Rivera's affairs right. because she knew that he really liked her long hair. So she would chop it off. I was Interesting. Like, oh, get it. <laughs> a lot about um, gender in there too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lots about gender to think about. <laughs> lots about gender. Think about it. We don't have and time I, to think about it now because no, we're doing history, no, no. but we're, lots we're to running think through about it. gender there. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say, like, uh, if you have the opportunity, like just look up these artworks. Like that's why I'm giving yeah. the names if you have a chance to look them up. Because when I describe them to you, they just they don't really help as much. Like I think seeing them, you can see like yeah. the pain or the discomfort that she was like coming across with these items or like the anger. Right. So I think it's like, it's way obviously with art, meeting like with art, it's more useful to look at it. Um, yeah. But it, it is true. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've been, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been looking some up as we've been talking and they're Have quite you? beautiful and arresting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They definitely, some of them are, are shocking and like yeah. uh, they like capture you. And obviously just beyond like painting her own life experiences, part of the reason Frida's works are so renowned today is because she was deeply influenced by indigenous Mexican culture. And she showed that through her use of bright colors and also dramatic symbolism. Right. So for instance, she frequently included this symbolic monkey in her works, um, which I think like, if you look up like self-portrait with monkey, there's one in the monkey is so cute. Um, And so in Mexican mythology, monkeys are symbols of lust, but in her paintings, Frida kind of portrayed them more as gentle protective symbols. Right. So they'll be like around her shoulder or by her face and it's never like, they don't look aggressive. <laughs> right, <laughs> they just yeah. look like very cute little creatures. Oh, it does look cute. Yeah. It looks like those like capuchin monkeys and like the, what was it? Night the museum or something. Like that's what it looks like. These little monkeys. Capuchin? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> if you ever watch Friends, you would know what a capuchin monkey is. Oh, but... that's so interesting. Because capuchins are also like a Catholic order. 
Oh, like really? Order of monks. Yeah. From where? Do you know from where they came from? Um, from they're Italian, I think. Capuchins. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure, just because I know from yeah, this is so not relevant, but like <laughs> yeah, all the saint stuff I was researching. Yeah. Um, Padre Pio, the famous stigmatic saint, was a I'm pretty sure was a Capuchin monk. Oh, okay. Um, well, and also so I just Capuchin... well, maybe... maybe I wonder if they were discovered by Capuchin yeah, I was missionaries. Anyways, okay, sorry, literally not relevant <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, um, but- oh, yeah, literally. Okay, sorry. The word Capuchin de- derives from a group of friars named the Order of Friars Minor Capuchin, an offshoot from the Franciscans, who, oh. yeah, when Portuguese explorers reached the Americas. Yeah, oh, so okay. it literally is that connection. Oh. Religion, monkey, Frida Kahlo. Boom. And, and Russia. And Russia. And Russia. <laughs> Russia. Um, and also, Frida, because I looked it up, I was like, did she have a pet monkey? They keep on referencing monkeys, and she did. She had a pet monkey. Really? Um, okay, cool. Yeah, Diego gave it to her, I guess. Um, and she did have a couple other animals. I think she had, like, a dog and a couple other exotic pets. Right. Um, and people were saying, like, the idea behind it was because she couldn't have children, these mm. kind of filled in that, like, role of mothering. Right. I don't know how true that is. Maybe she just really enjoyed animals. Yeah, um, it's like someone might be projecting <laughs> that onto her, but... <laughs> like, that's a big statement, but... Yeah, anyways, yeah that's so. a lot. <laughs> But what also helped Frida stand out was the fact that her work, it sharply contrasted with with like the work of other artists that were common during that period in Mexico. Right. And so these people were called the Mexican muralists. And so essentially in the wake of the Mexican revolution, the country's government kind of backed the Mexican muralist movement, which aimed to produce like monumental public murals that would showcase the country's history and identity. Right, right, right. Um, And so like, although Frida really wanted to use her artwork towards something useful for like the communist revolutionary movement and this idea. Yeah. Her art really wasn't seen at the time as serving the party um, right. and like kind of promoting what Mexican muralists were doing. Right. But in spite of this, her work, like her artwork did really showcase Mexico's indigenous culture. Right. And in one of her works, um, it's called my grandparents, my parents and me. She adopted the form of retablos, which were like small devotional paintings made on metallic plates that were really kind of common in the area. Right. And so she would still showcase Mexican culture, even if it wasn't done in the style that the government was kind of backing at the time. Right. And then also she has a couple paintings that are funny, um, at least to me, where she compares Mexico to the U.S. Right. But in them, the U.S. is seen as like this dirty kind of like gross image in the foreground or the background, sorry. Right. Whereas Mexico is seen as being like one with nature, vibrant, colorful. And so although right. she would often go to the US, she really did she really right. did promote Mexico and be like right. a yeah. place to be. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. On a more physical level, like re- less related to her paintings, Frida did carefully kind of craft this flamboyant Mexican persona for herself. Um, right. so she would care she would wear a colorful folk dress and pre-Columbian jewelry. And people saw it as like this performative display of her identity. Right. And she was known to um, like the clothes, this of clothing that she would wear was, was known to be like, obviously a lot brighter, vibrant, but also showing a lot more skin than the, than the typical European fashion at the time. So she was kind of making a statement. Right. And she really didn't sell many paintings in her lifetime very much like every tortured artist. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Successful afterwards. After her death. Yeah. Yeah. 
but she did occasionally print portraits on commission and she did experience success while she was alive, but kind of the majority of it came afterwards. Right. Okay. Um, and she only ever had one solo exhibition in Mexico in her lifetime, which was in 1953, but the year after she passed away at the age of 47. Wow. So in her short span of life, like 155 paintings. Is, um, yeah, incredible. Pretty decent. Yeah. Um, and the official cause of death given was pulmonary embolism. Right. Which, to be fair, I don't know what that is. I figured you might. Yeah, it's just like a blood clot in your lung, I think. Oh. Oh, I hate. Okay. Or like, it's like when a blood clot gets lodged in your, like, in the veins in your lungs. No. Okay. I think. I don't know. <laughs> Once again, the medical people that Doctors listen to this podcast. sound off. <laughs> paging Dr. Hannah Lee. Paging Dr. <laughs> Hannah Lee. Friend of the pod. <laughs> She'll be able to tell me. I think that is what it's called. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Sorry. Um, and so although some suspected, like, like although that was her, the official cause of death, some would say that she died from overdose, which right. was potentially accidental. They're not right. sure. But an autopsy okay. was never performed, so we don't really know. Right. Okay. Um, to be fair, though, like against the overdose speculation, Frida had been very ill in the year leading up to her death. Right. And her right leg, which had been thinner because of polio, right. had been amputated at the knee because of gangrene. Oh. Um, so additionally, like around the time of death, she'd also had bronchopneumonia, which had left her pretty frail. Right. So right. all these things considered, it's not right. unheard of that she may have died from natural causes. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that is the life of Frida Kahlo. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm so excited to look up her art. Cause like yes. even the couple of ones I've been able to look up while we were talking there are beautiful and gorgeous. So, just, yeah. And arresting. Like, it's like, so yes. like, you just want to like, Oh, you like, you stop your it. Eye. Yes, like, it's, absolutely. It's so yeah, it's, it's just, wow. Okay, do I tell you about my snack this Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So, Maria, tell me about your snack. How is it? Okay, so... Mochi Donut from... Mochi Donut. Mochi Dough. Mochi Dough, okay. Good name, actually. Yeah, it honestly... All in the name. (laughs) So, you know what they also do that's really cool? Um, It sounds kind of gross on the surface, but it's like a drink that I think is like sort of sweet and milk, but at the very bottom, they've made like this fresh strawberry jam, and you shake it up, and it's like strawberry milk. Oh, it's, like, okay, it's very cool. like fresh, like creamy, like sweet drink. Cause every so often you'll get like a, like a larger chunk of a strawberry and it's just like, Oh, I had it. And I was like, I've always hated strawberry milk. This slapped really hard. Like it was so good. So you know what my parents would say to that? What? Rots your teeth. <laughs> Rots your teeth. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Back to mochi dough. So they mochi do that dough. cool drink and then cool the drink. donut. I would say yeah. out of all of them, other than coffee, the churro is probably my least favorite. Oh, really? Because I like a glaze. The churro is really just like, because mochi donuts themselves don't really have flavor. It's about texture. Right. So whatever you put on top has to pack the punch. Right. And they just put like cinnamon sugar on top, I guess. Yeah. Which is fine. But if it had more of like the caramel on top or something, maybe I would enjoy it more. Like Interesting. I still like it. I just, out of all of them in the box... I would leave that for someone else. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you for being honest. I have to say though, if like, if you enjoy churros, this is probably one of the best churros I've had because it's right. not a true churro, obviously, but in terms of chew- churro flavor, I like the chewy aspect, but still like the sugariness. Right. So right. 
Yeah. And would you say like, what's your rating? I think I will go back. Okay. Yeah. I think I, like, I want to just honestly for that strawberry milk, it really rocked my world. Um, but I okay. think like when you eventually are able to come back to BC, we'll do yeah. like a mochi donut run and we'll go both to this place cause it has flavors cause you enjoy okay. your flavors right. and then we'll go to there, there and get okay. to there and you can compare. Thank, thank God. I've been, I mean, that's the worst part of this pandemic is I can't go on a mochi donut run with you and Vancouver. I know. That's what, yeah. that's what I've been saying. God, yeah. I look frightening right now. Like the sun. Yeah, the light out. coming through right now. Oh, I was telling Sam too. And like, we both kind of agreed with it. I look like Eileen Wernos, like the, mm-hmm. the serial killer that Charlize Theron played in Monster. She won an Oscar for. Um, that's what I look like right now with the hairstyle. In a good way. Face. My face looks a lot like her, so. <laughs> well, my hair, my hair looks crazy too. So. In a gorgeous way. Mm, but <laughs> I guess the listeners, the listeners can imagine how crazy we look or how Picture bad we it. look. Okay, yeah. so significance. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I was yes. just realizing. I was like, wait, I feel like there's more. You're like, hold on. There's and obviously, I don't have a snack, so I have nothing to say. But yeah, tell me why. What What's Frida Kahlo's significance? Yes. So obviously, just like yeah. in terms of general success of her work. She obviously, like, as we said, during her lifetime, didn't make the biggest impact. Um, It kind of came later. But to be fair, in 1939, Frida went to France and her paintings were featured at at, like an exhibition in Paris. And the Louvre ended. Is it Louvre or Louvre? I think how you said it was perfect. Are you being sarcastic? No. No, I meant I think however you say it's fine. Um, So they ended up buying one of her paintings, the frame, and it became the first work by a 20th century Mexican artist ever purchased by the museum, right. um, which of course is internationally renowned. Like the Louvre right. is a big deal. Um, and then today, like more recently, Frida Kahlo's works, they will sell for super high prices. Right. And the, the most expensive one was like in May 2006, one of her self-portraits um, named Roots was sold for $5.62 million at an auction Holy. in New York. Wow. And it set the record as the most expensive Latin American work ever purchased at auction. Yeah. And it also made Frida one of the highest selling women in art. Right. Highest paid. Yeah. Well, um, not quite going along with her uh, anti-capitalist ethos. Maybe. Not quite. Well, I guess I, she can't really take the money. So. No, ex- exactly. <laughs> I just feel like she would probably, I don't know. I don't know her and enough about her life to say this, but I feel like if you're like <laughs> committed to communist ideals in your life and then your yes. art sells for an insane amount of money to an uber, uber wealthy person. Yeah. Who's probably like just going like, to keep it in their living room. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she'd probably be like, mm, that's not what I wanted, but. Yeah, that's not what I was going for. Nah. Um, and then kind of interesting thing in 2001, the U S postal service, they placed her image on a 34 cent stamp, making okay. her the first Hispanic woman to receive the honor. Okay, cool. So big deal there. But Freedom Mania was kind of like what she's known for. It began in the in the 90s and was really pushed along by the release of the movie Frida in 2002. Okay. And it kind of was this all of a sudden like, I don't want to say like a renaissance, but it was, right. I think this idea of younger generations all of a sudden learning about her and realizing right. how cool she was and getting into her artwork. Right. Um, and she is thought to have kept Mexico's history alive and portrayed a true version of the country. Um, Her paintings really celebrated the cross-cultural identity that Mexico embraced following its revolution, because obviously Mexico isn't like 
just made up of one identity. It's from a lot right. because people were constantly moving there and yeah, kind of and helping shape that culture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I should say colonization. It's not like they just came over. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> no, I should say that. Um, but obviously, it's a bunch of different identities that came together to create this idea of right. Mexican nationalism. Right. And so Rather than be- just the mural... I can't remember the muralist, but the muralist, yeah, <laughs> little little they did. Um, but yeah. so yeah, she became a model not only for Mexicans but also for Mexican Americans and Hispanics living in the United States because um, she is said to have, like nurture the sense of who they are and their long history. Interesting. Um, and she she was proudly Mexican, like she dressed in the traditional Tijuana clothing. Right. Um, she showcased like this the colors and the themes and symbols in her artwork and so she really is seen as embodying mexican pride regardless right. of her time spent with other cultures because she was traveling and everything but right deep down she was she was always showcasing mexico right okay and even i think in like she grew up in it's called blue house because it was just this blue house uh, okay. the city she grew up in like they've now made a museum out of it so you could always right, go there okay. and visit right but kind of like the biggest thing is that Frida Kahlo is like she's really seen as like a feminist icon so yeah. she also serves an inspiration to those with disabilities the Latina community the LGBTQ plus community because like right. remember she identified as bisexual right um, and so she kind of helps like she kind of was an icon for all of these different arenas and her work like she uses her sexuality her devotion to Diego her miscarriages right. to kind of provide like a well-rounded view of who she was. Right. She showcased all the things that made her human, um, like made her like a woman right? without backing down from the things like society expected of her. Right. So I think you can see that just the fact that she kept a unibrow. It yeah. was like, that wasn't a beauty norm back then, nor I think like ever that I've heard of, but she kept it right. because she wasn't changing her self-expression for others. She obviously, with like her multiple surgeries and the accident, she really did have like disabilities that she worked through and would paint in her artwork and didn't really back down from. Right. Um, for feminism, she was painting her miscarriages. She was painting the issues with her marriage. And she was right. also painting like her body fully nude on like a portrait. Right. Uh, so that was kind of crazy pants. Yeah. So uh, she refused to be squashed or ignored and the physical space she dominated continues to grab people's attention. Um, um, yeah, I think that's it. That's all I got. That's cool. No, I'm really, I'm really happy you, you, you brought Frida Kahlo up for the pod this week. I'm excited to like look Thank into your art and hopefully other yes. people, people, listeners do too. Cause yeah. I'm definitely, you know how you're talking about this Frida Renaissance in the nineties. I can see why people were like, yeah. holy shit. Well, thanks Maria. That was great. Thank you. It was exciting to do. Maybe that's my thing now is we're just doing synopses on women through history. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Okay. Well, I think that's all we have. My recommendation yeah. for Machido is I will go back. If yeah. you're going to go, just be prepared for parking to be a nightmare and like right. walk a bit. It's easier on you. Right. Yeah, that's a pro tip. Pro tip. That's why I come to this pod for the pro tips. The, the pro tips truth. For, yeah. for food and cities that I'm sure many of you aren't even in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever go. You ever go. Um, but thanks for listening, folks. As always, if you have any feedback, comments, feel free to hit us up at our Instagram, at eatit.pod. Yes. Woo! And any recommendations? Um, I know my my brother, shout out, he always sends me TikToks of the latest food places in Vancouver, so it helps my list grow. So even if it's not topic recommendations, if you have a right. place that you'd like us to go eat, yeah. that would be cool too. Um, yeah. I'm always down for new things. Just keep in mind, I'm a vegetarian. 
So it can't be like yeah. a meat place. <laughs> She's not going to eat your bacon lover no. pizza, okay? <laughs> but anything it. else is up for grabs. So Yeah. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.